Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sara Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host Sara Davison shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sara Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today's guest is Emma Jane Taylor. Emma Jane was once told she was the girl going nowhere, the failure. And that was a recent headline in the Sun newspaper that some of you may have seen. She is the CEO of The Works Company and became the face of the wellbeing show for That's TV. She now presents podcasts, radio shows, and regularly writes for social media platforms, as well as media publications, including Her Edit magazine. She is a regular guest on podcasts like this across the globe and is the founder of Breaking the Silence. Her personal and traumatic story of struggle and hardship covered in her debut book entitled Don't Hold Back, which was also headlined in the Sun newspaper, has given her the positive tools and focus she needed to fight back to create a powerhouse of strength, compassion and dedication to living. So I'm super excited to welcome my friend Emma Jane to the show. Welcome, Emma Jane. Hi, Sarah. Great to be here. Great to see you as well. <laughs> I know. It's so good. It's been a long time. And I've been really excited that you agreed to join us today because you really are a shining example of how to turn your life around. But before we go into your story, do tell us a bit about what you're doing now. Okay, so I am currently the CEO of a company called The Works Company. This is a series of lifestyle businesses. We work with children from four, we work to adults to 104. And it's really about creative well-being back into their life. So with the children, it's about performing arts and with the adults, it's about fitness, but really looking at well-being and nutrition and how to be the best them in life. Um, so that is where sort of I focus a lot of my work with my team. I am also the face of the Wellbeing Show and the Power Hour for River Radio. I also present a show on Inspire Radio called Be Real, Be You and um, present a podcast called Talk the Taboo. So, yeah, very busy, um, but all doing things that I really enjoy. Yeah, and that you're really good at. So please tell us a little bit about how you turned your life around and your story, because I saw a headline that you were told you were a girl that was going nowhere. Is that mm. true? When I left school, my headmistress told me that I was a failure and I was a girl going nowhere. And wow. at that point in my life, you could have easily thought that is the case. I was in a very difficult, dark place, but my reality was very different, which it quite often is. Uh, I lived with my, um, my mother and my stepfather from the age of two. I used to go and see my stepfather every other weekend, and I was happy. I really enjoyed that life. I enjoyed seeing my dad. I lived with my two brothers. My step-siblings would come and visit from time to time. It just felt like a happy place to be. Um, on a holiday when I was nine years old in Greece, um, I was sexually abused by a Greek restaurant owner. Um, and it was an incident I had no idea of. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what had happened to me. It didn't feel right, if I'm honest, but I didn't really know what right meant. I didn't know what inappropriate meant. And so I kind of took it with me. 
and lived with that. And then two years later, my biological father told me he never wanted to see me again. And that shattered my world. This was a man who was my prince. He was my hero. I used to love going to spend weekends with him, enjoy a trip to Percy Lovejoy's sweet shop in Marlow, Buckinghamshire. We used to go to Handicross Sports Centre. We'd get to the roundabout and the competition was who'd see the sports centre first. We'd go and watch Bruce Forsyth generation game in the evening. It was just happy, happy time. So then out of the blue, when he told me he wouldn't see me again, I really didn't know what that meant. But of course, he actually meant it. I'm 49 this year and I've not seen my father for 37 years. He tore me apart. He tore my heart apart. He threw me. I just felt like I'd been thrown to the dump. Um, and at 11, no one knew what to do with me. For, I'm a 70s baby and I have a great mom and I have a great stepfather and I have a nice family. But no one communicated, especially like we do now, especially no one had the conversation and understood how to support me. So every night I cried in my pillow. I listened to Cliff Richards' song, Daddy's Home, hoping that, you know, he would come back. I used to watch Stilla Black, surprise, surprise, hoping that one day Stilla would knock on my door and my dad would be there. Every birthday, every Christmas, I would run to the front door to see if there was a Christmas card or birthday card and there was nothing. So I had to learn, I grieved, I had to learn to survive and I had to learn to survive from quite a young age but I was broken hearted and there was a big significant change in me. Um, at that point, when I was around 13 years old, a family acquaintance saw the weakness in me and became my friend, but he became more than my friend. He degraded me, he abused me, he raped me, he tortured me, he manipulated me for the next three, four years. Through that time, I clearly suffered, you know, I clearly, I was very dark, I went into a dark place, I had to go and see a school psychiatrist because I was so naughty at school, they labelled me a juvenile delinquent, I was suspended, I would put in isolation regularly, I had to have daily reports to my headmistress, and pretty much failed school, but a lot of people thought it was because of my father leaving and in all honesty there was a big part of it that was because of that the story behind that was bigger I was being groomed and sexually abused I started drinking very early on I started taking drugs very early on I was I, I guess I was addicted in the such in the sense that it made me feel better to take this these substances because it took me away from this this horrible dark life and of course you know I still wasn't really sure whether this was right or wrong, it just, it was a place where I went to because I knew it was making me feel better. I was bulimic, I had OCD, night terrors. I was constantly paranoid. I was worried, I was sick, I was panicking, always needing to go to the Wii because <laughs> I was so nervous and I developed a disposition of uh, nausea and I had to be medicated for that because I was so nervous as a child. I used to wet my bed quite late on in my life and so I was troubled. And then, you know, when I left school, PTSD started catching up with me, probably 16, 17, 18. But again, no one talked about it. I didn't even know what that meant. But when I left school, I was slammed as the juvenile delinquent, told I was a failure, I was going nowhere. And I had been spectacularly naughty at school. But the problem was behind that. Not, not I wasn't the problem. There was a problem behind me. So that kind of really was my, my, in a nutshell, my story from nine through to sort of like 16, 
I was a very troubled soul. When I stepped away from school and started looking at life and what I could do and what I couldn't do, I had no idea. I was a right mess. I didn't have any real guidance and not because I didn't have people who loved and cared for me. I just, you know, I, I didn't want to know. How I didn't end up in prison or dead is a mystery because uh, I really was not in a good place. Um, I didn't like anyone in my life. I didn't like my mum. I didn't like my stepfather. I hated my brothers. I hated people. I was very lonely. I didn't have very many people around me because when you've been groomed and isolated, um, you tend not to gravitate towards people your own age because you are being so mistreated. And, and so when I was sort of like starting to sort of go into my 16, 17, 18 year old years, I did start meeting boys and had some friends that, you know, that were around. And interestingly, I've recently spoken to my school friends who are very shocked to now have heard of my story. And of course they never considered they weren't my friends but I never thought they were my friends because I just wasn't in that headspace. Um, and then when I was 19, I had a, two light bulb moments. I was working in a bar and one of the punters came in and he said, DJ, what do you wanna do with your life? And I said, I wanna be a dancer. <laughs> And he said, you're never going to do that. And he started laughing. And I was like, why are you laughing? He said, because EJ, you are always out there, high on life, partying, crazy, in trouble. He said, I can't imagine for one minute you going off and performing. And I was like, what? That's not my legacy. And then the other moment was where my stepfather had a heart op um, when I was 19, um, up until this point. I clearly hated everybody in my life. And then suddenly he had a heart up. He was rushed to intensive care in London. And we were all summons to the, well, not summons, but called to the hospital to go and see him. And, and there he was lying there and he was lying there on life support. And it was a real moment where I thought, oh my goodness, this man has supported me. He's loved me. He's cared for me. He's been there for me. He's, he's been hit by me. He's been violated by me. I've been, I've been horrendous to this man. And this man is lying here dying. And suddenly I knew I didn't want to live that life anymore. Suddenly the, my father, who I had on a pedestal, went. The, the pendulum swung and my, my stepfather went up there and I just didn't want my stepfather to die. I sat by his bed cried and cried and cried begging him not to die begging him to you know survive and come around and just be come home with us and it, I would change and I would be you know better and uh he did he survived he's now 84 years old he's my best friend he's my love of my life I get quite emotional thinking about that change because that was the moment Sarah where I thought I need to do something about this no one knew my story um, and at 19, I kind of went off to Spain and just sort of lived in and out of Spain for the next three years, coming back to the UK. Sorry, when you say that nobody knew about it, had you ever spoken to anyone about what had happened with the family friend and the grooming? Or not, just not at that point. No, I think I had made a couple of noises when I'd been drunk. Um, but I'd never significantly shared the story. Um, and I was embarrassed, I think, you know, I think also when you've been groomed from 13 onwards and you've had such a significant, he's had such a significant impact on your life, you have what's called trauma bonding, emotional bonding. Yeah. 
And so you don't want to speak out against this, this perpetrator. And of course, now you realize we have to, right? <laughs> we have to shine a light on the, on the shadows because you know, if we don't, these things continue. So, which is another part of why I decided to speak out. But when I was 22, when I came back from Spain, that was when I decided to go into therapy. And that year was when I shared everything with my mum and my stepdad. Wow. And so how did you then, having gone through all that, EJ, I mean, that is a, a really tough childhood you went through and on your own, very isolated with no one to care for you really or, or to confide in. How from that point then with the therapy, did that help you turn things around? What things did you do specifically to change that? I think it's really interesting, you know, yes, so what, you go back to what you were saying about, you know, you're isolated and lonely with no one around you. I had loads of people around me, my mum, my stepdad, my brothers, my step-siblings. I had, did have some friends around me, but I pushed so many people away. And because we were in the 70s, 80s, 90s then, no one had that communication. So no one knew how to talk to me. So that's why I was so isolated in that situation so when I went to that first counseling session I think I cried for an hour I don't think I could speak <laughs> you know when you're so, you're so emotional you just can't get any words out um I just cried and cried and cried and cried and then she she told me to go and take uh, eat walnuts because it's good for my heart <laughs> I never forget her telling me that and I thought oh yeah so I went home and I bought a big bag of walnuts um, and she did some Reiki on me and it was like oh this feels really healing I mean you know uh, and then I went to sort of told my parents and so when I was at 24 I'd, I'd done maybe a year and two of therapy by then I still really hadn't told anyone more than my parents um, and I'm not sure entirely how they how they responded to it in, in the way that they probably felt pretty bad right you know <laughs> they yeah. were of an age where they didn't have therapy and counseling and this open communication and you know something right under their nose it had happened way beyond anything that they could have controlled so they also had some understanding and recognition which was difficult for them but when I was 24 I started um teaching dance classes I was I was had been working in I did get a proper job when I was about 23 and it was a very high powered sales job I was brilliant at it um, I, I had a fortune, I had a fast car, but I was deeply unhappy, deeply unhappy because it wasn't where I wanted to be. Yes, I was great at that, you know, um, I could sell anything to, to, to get that commission and I, and I did, but it wasn't where my heart was. And I remember thinking, I just don't want to do this. So everyone was really surprised. I left that high power job and I became a temp. And then I was asked to choreograph a show and I set up a tap dancing class and I loved it. I was like, okay, the guy in the bar who said I would never do this. Here I am. I'm teaching a tap dance class to a, you know, a bunch of ladies and they, they are enjoying it. I'm loving it. And then I started a jazz class and a modern class. You know, my, I am my, my dancer by trade and I loved it it was just nice to be there performing and doing and it was also a really nice healing part of my my therapy years and when I was 26 27 I then took over the reins um or, or started a company called Stageworks Performing Arts School and um then my therapy deepened and as my therapy deepened my business grew 
no one knew I was like working parallel with my businesses and I thought actually this is great I love this working with children giving back to children is really important to me and then I moved into fitness I was like right okay I can't I'm not you know I'm not I'm I'm, I'm 27 now I'm, I'm by I'm not a dancer I'm not a, a cabaret dancer and performer like I was I now need to start thinking lateral thinking here so I went and trained in fitness I did every qualification imaginable for fitness launched my nutritious works company Stage Rights Nutritious Works worked together. I grew the team. I deepened my therapy. And then when I was probably about, I don't know, into my late 30s, I was asked by That's TV if they would do a show on me as a businesswoman. And I thought, oh, this is a great idea. Yeah, I'll go and do that. And it was there that they then said, oh, would you cover one of the shows for us on well-being? And uh, I said, yeah, I'll cover that. And then suddenly I got my own, they'd created me my own show and I was there for four years. And it was, it was a really big journey because through those years, obviously I stopped drinking when I was around 23. I stopped taking drugs. I stopped taking any, anything that was bad for me. I was also uh, addicted at that point to drugs, drink, aerosols, but I gave it all up. I, I started getting, gaining my qualifications and just believing in myself and started to turn things around. To, I wasn't the failure. I was far from the failure. And I started to believe it. I mean, it wasn't something that happened overnight. It wasn't a light switch, you know, moment. It was a growth. I had to find that person. And it was when I was doing That's TV and Venus magazine said to me, Jay, we love the work that you're doing. We'd love to put you on the front cover of our magazine which is now the iconic pink picture of me that goes everywhere. And we're doing an event we'd like you to speak at. And uh, I said, yeah, okay, we'd like to share your story. So I said, yeah, fine, that's fine. But I said, actually, it's not just about business. I have had a bit of a personal story. And I felt this was the right time because, you know, when you're interviewing people on um, a platform as I was on That's TV, I felt very, um, I had imposter syndrome because here I was, you know, succeeding in my life, but no one really knew that behind me was a very difficult dark story. Yet here I am sharing everyone's deep dark stories. So that was when I decided to dip my toe in and start sharing my story. And, and off it went in the magazine. It wasn't the whole story. It was some of the story. They then asked me to speak at their event. There was 400 people in the room. I had sick in my throat when I was walking down the stage, onto the stage. And I shook like a pneumatic drill for the whole 15, 20 minutes. But it was after that, that people were coming up to me saying, thank you for being so raw. It's really helped me understand that I need help. And then it was like, it really was like someone flicked a switch, right? You kind of thought, this is impactful, right? People need this. No one, um, no one can... No, no one can help you more than you can help yourself. But if you see the emotion and vulnerability of someone who seemingly has done well, then it makes it a bigger, it makes the, the, makes the situation look like a much better mountain to climb than on your own. So, uh, yeah, so I started speaking out and, uh, and it was after that I decided to write my book. Yes, tell us about your book. It's called Don't Hold Back, isn't it? Mm. Where can we get a copy? So you can get a copy on Amazon. Um, and it was, again, something that I decided to write to share my story and give other people tools, tips, motivation, advice to help them through their dark times. So it's full of practical help and advice. 
because everyone can succeed. And, you know, people will talk to me now about what this word success means. It's not monetary to me. Success is being here with my authentic voice. And I've never realized that before now. It's about being present in your life. And if you can be present in your life, you can enjoy your life so much better. So, yes, you can buy my book on Amazon and, um, and uh, yeah, hopefully get some tips and inspiration to turn your life around. So do you think, listening to your story, Min, there were a couple of turning points where people had said you wouldn't be able to be successful, whatever that meant, your headmistress, the guy in the bar, um, and then having that pain inside you as well, I guess, of all the trauma you'd been through with the abuse and your father leaving. Do you think that, that you use that in a positive way in some way to, to sort of flip it into your driver in the end to say, right, I've been through that, but that isn't going to define me. I'm going to help other people to get through it and share that. Has that helped you on your way? Do you think that was a turning point? Yeah, it's when I found my purpose. I think when I, my three Ps, passion, power and purpose, when I understood what they meant to me, I could really flip this around. And I know you and I have sort of talked about that before, how you can flip that negative into a positive. It really was yeah. that, you know, what I, my legacy is not to be the failure the child going nowhere, which I could easily have become had I carried on believing what my headmistress had told me when I left school and what other people were saying to me, really, because, you know, I wasn't a good person. I, I really wasn't. And it's hard to believe now, right? Because I'm just so, I'm the polar opposite of the person I was when I was in my late teens, early 20s. I am who I, I am, the nine year the girl before she got abused at nine years old. I'm a nice person. We are all nice people. It's just how life treats us that turns us around, but we can flip that back. And once you can find your purpose, you can really find your power and then you can use your passion to drive you forward. So being authentic, using my voice, doing what I can to make a difference is really important for me because there are many people suffering in silence and I wanna reach those people. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people can't speak out. So it's great when people find their strength to be able to speak out. Mm. A lot of the, the survivors that I work with couldn't speak out for a long time because they were scared for safety and what people might say. So there's lots of reasons why people don't speak out. I think it was interesting with International Women's Day with their hashtag choose to challenge theme, which was challenging people to speak out if they could. I think that's helped a lot of people around the world. So do you think you will ever get over what happened to you? Do you think that's possible? Yes. I mean, I don't, I don't have any sleepless nights anymore. I did. I used to have night terrors and um, really vivid, horrible dreams. And I would be quite anxious and um, very concerned for my mental health. And as I've started speaking out, I don't think you can ever live a normal of those that have not been sexually abused. And, I've, and I have shared that post recently about it. Once you've been sexually abused, you don't live the normal that other people talk about. So I will never understand those that haven't been sexually abused story because that wasn't my story and they will never understand my story because they've never been, thankfully, never been sexually abused. So it's then aligning that. So this is my life. I've understood that, you know, a lot of my life, I found that men treated me badly. Um, I was rejected, abandoned and all without any rhyme or reason. So there was always big question marks over my life. 
And then you've got to accept that not everybody behaves and thinks like you. And, you know, mm-hmm. if, if someone does want to leave or they're not with you for the right reasons, it's accepting that if you if you can't talk it through and communicate it well, you have to accept that other people aren't on the same journey as you are and their their passion and their heart isn't where you are but that doesn't make you a bad person so I've understood I wasn't a bad person I I would say it doesn't affect me as in I don't have troubles and nightmares and and I'm not sick and I'm not paranoid and I'm not scared anymore I'm very confident women I'm very very confrontational and controversial about these conversations now as you know because I found my passion power and my purpose but I've also allowed it to be my life. This is who I am. So now I, I'm, I don't know if it's an activist is the right word, but now I'm very out there speaking about these subjects to support other people. And so it has become my life. And it's not about getting over it. It's about learning to live with it. Mm. And how can I live with it to make my life a success? And that's what I've done. I've moved it into a positive area of my life and never look back really. Yeah, I mean, I do talk a lot about that. I really agree with you on that because if you can find your purpose, like having gone through a divorce or a breakup, turning that into something that's positive and empowering. So looking for the lessons, banking those lessons, don't keep making the same mistakes, but then actually using that to do some good or make a difference, which I know... I know you also went through a breakup as well, didn't you? And you've got a Yeah, so um, I think, you know, later on into my 40s, you know, I had to accept that my life was very different. It was no fault of either party, really. We'd just grown apart. And I think we'd accepted that we'd grown apart. We have a daughter. And it wasn't now about fighting for what we can and can't have. It was about how can we move this forward positively for our daughter's benefit? I have seen, and, I, and I'm sure you see it every second of your day, but I have seen some horrendous stories with my friends and how they have fought for years and for what? Because the yeah. pot's gone down and down and down and down and down. And what's happened is the children have been massively affected and now are going to be scarred for life. And, you know, and I do say to people all the time, think about the child, the now might not seem important, but in 10 years, 20 years time, this will bite the butt of those children involved in that breakup. I've been there in my own story in a different way, how it affects you later on in life. When you start understanding and digesting and, you know, remember that the arguments you've heard. So I was very much in that space of, I don't want my daughter to see that. I don't want her to hear the negative arguments. So we, we've kept the separation positive we've kept it very much about our daughter and how best that she can live her life I don't want her I know I mean I've been there as well my parents separated even though I I was quite young unfortunately you do hear things as a child and I don't want to I don't want that because playing each other off on each other I've seen that is not worth it it doesn't make any sense it might make you feel better in that split moment but it will come back and bite you later on in life. And so for that reason, I've made sure that I have maintained a good relationship with my ex-husband who has moved on in his life. I've moved on in my life. We have a beautiful daughter. She knows nothing other than happiness, smiles and positivity. So she goes between us. I know she sleeps at night feeling calm. I know she gets up in the morning feeling positive. Whereas I have seen 
the negative side of that with some friends of mine where their kids are just wrangled because of what they're hearing and seeing. So I've made it my purpose to make sure my separation is positive because I also know I don't want any more negativity in my life. I had a bucket load throughout my years. In my 40s, I want to be living my life. And yes, it has been sad. You know, I didn't marry my husband to, to divorce him. But, you know, that's life sometimes. It doesn't always work out as you want and we have to just accept and then embrace the next change. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I know that a lot of people listening uh, are doing their best to try and have that amicable divorce. I guess there is one caveat where, you know, if your ex-partner is hell-bent on making your life a misery, it can be difficult, but you can control what goes on in your home and what you say. You can't control what other people do, but you can control what's in, in your home. And I've done a few episodes on that as well, yeah. saying you can't influence what other people say, what your ex is saying or doing you can control what you do and say about it and you can choose to do the right thing. And, and quite frankly, I know from experience, that's not usually the easiest thing. No. And, and you know what, sometimes Sarah, even if, cause of course, you know, life's not always rosy. If there are any sticky moments, she's, my daughter's never found out about them. Um, and I do that all privately because I know how messed up I got as a child and I don't want her messed up. But more than that, when there has been a sticky moment or any anxiety, Whenever I'm on the front door and he may show up or da 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 da, it's positive and nice and happy because yeah. I deal with the business stuff away and in front of my daughter, it's nothing but happy. And I've got, you know, and I, and I want that to be the, the case moving forward. I can't always control him, but I can do it nicely with a smile. <laughs> yeah, that smile is a secret weapon in times like that. Absolutely. Yes. So what do you do when you're having a tough day, Jay? What, what tools do you have in your toolkit to cheer yourself up or make yourself feel better? I have a lovely little dog, um, my Charlie. She's 16 years old. She's been with me since the beginning and she's my best friend. Um, and we go for a nice walk or we'll cuddle and I'll just talk to her. But, you know, I get outside. I embrace nature. For me, it's very important because, you know, yes, of course, I'm human. I do have tough days. Sometimes I just turn off my phone and get outside and go for a walk. I could be gone for two hours, four hours. You know, it doesn't matter. But I get away because you cannot finding staying in an environment that is negative and making you not feel very good is negative in itself. It's not productive. You're not going to feel great. Absolutely. Step away step away and walk away. There are some days I get away from my desk and I think, oh, I need to be doing stuff. Uh, and then I'm like, no, get your shoes on because you're never going to get your walk in today. And then I get five minutes down the road and I'm like, whatever. I mean, manana, I do it all tomorrow. Nothing matters. And I'm chilled. And I think once you can be really chilled, your thinking changes straight away. And then you come back and you're a bit like, la, 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 life's wonderful. I've just crossed the rainbow and it feels great. And, you know, disconnected and from that difficult situation. So getting outside, and the other thing I love to do is whack the music up, uh, much to the distress of uh, my partner, and have a good old sing song to some 80s music and dance around the house, just feeling you know crazy, because you just, just let go and talk to my friends. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm a big fan of chatting to friends and also whacking the music up. And the 80s was my era too. So <laughs> I love a bit of singing out loud when no one can hear, preferably. Yeah. Um, so looking back on your life, is there anything that you would change? 
So I did a documentary for BBC Three and one of the things I was asked was, what, what, what are my regrets? Mm. And I, as you know, I'm a very positive person. I put positivity on the horrible situations. So having regrets is not really something that I like to sort of consider, but I had to give an answer. And I suppose it's not about change. It's not about regrets. It's about learnings. And what I've learned, and that is I had a voice and I could have spoken up sooner. So if I had to give you an answer and what could I have changed, I would have said to me as a nine-year-old child, that was inappropriate. Go and tell somebody you have yeah. a voice to talk. So for anyone listening right now who is in that situation, what would your advice be for where they could go and who they well, could Well, so um, you've got a million options. You don't have to, you know, I talk very publicly on social media, TV, nationals. You don't have to do that. You have a therapist somewhere. There is a friend somewhere. There is also a piece of paper and a pen somewhere. And there's a laptop somewhere that you can type, you can write, you can put something in a text message if you're too afraid to speak to someone. There's always a way that you can share your inner thoughts. And if you don't want to share it with a therapist or a friend, just write it down and get it off your chest. Because when it's off your chest it, and you can digest it, you can feel a little bit more confident in what your what your difficulties are. And you might start viewing them very differently. But don't be afraid because you know what? You are loved. You are worth it. And you really do matter. Yeah. And there are free helplines that people can turn to, like Childline or something. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So obviously you've got all the Childlines, Childline, you've got the NSPCC. Obviously, if you've got any mental health problems, you've got Mind, you've got um, Samaritans is always available to talk to. And in your schools now, if you are worried and you've got children in school or you are a young person listening to this, there are people in school that you can go to speak to. I think the trouble is they aren't very prevalent and that's something else that needs to change and uh with, with writing my second book those are things that I'm going to be approaching subjects very excited to, to hear more about the second book when is it coming out oh how long's a piece of string <laughs> progress is it? it is a, it's a book in progress I would suspect it certainly won't be out before the summer and um, because there's a lot of work that I'm doing to get this this is an information full of information to to support people in life and it could be it could be uh, late summer it could be Christmas maybe it's a nice Christmas present <laughs> well I will definitely be putting that out on my social media feeds as well so people can find that so as my podcast is called heartbreak to happiness EJ I think it's important to know where you're heading so what is happiness for you now being here with you Sarah is happiness yeah. giving my voice to help other people is gives me a lot of happiness because it really is important we can share our stories to support other people there is a million people in this world going through millions millions and millions I mean you know who are going through difficulties but if we could all speak up a little bit more we can find inner strength that could make you feel happy so yeah happiness is being authentic it's being me it's being able to go on that walk and sing my 80s songs it's being able to cuddle my dog and tell everybody that I love them it's being able to go to night uh, bed at night and sleep and I've also found and I'm not religious uh, by any stretch of the imagination but I also find prayer a very important part of my world now because you can reach so many more people through energy and spirituality which is what I am engaged with 
And that has been a real part of my success and happiness. Oh, I love that. I love that. So where can people find out more about you, Jay? Um, you can go to my website, Emma Jane Taylor, www.emmajanetaylor.life. On there, you will have links to all my social media, links to my book um, and all the events that I might be doing and coming up. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. You have been an incredible guest and thank you for sharing your story. It's been amazing. And I'm sure so many listeners are very inspired from what you've said. Well, thank you, Sarah, and for the work that you're doing to make a difference as well. It's great. Oh, thanks, Emma. That's it for today. Please head on over to www.emmajanetaylor.life to find out more about Emma. And I look forward to you joining us on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review in iTunes will win the chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day, including exclusive one-on-one coaching with Sarah Davison herself. Be sure to head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Sarah's gift. Then join us on the next episode.